everyone, it's Leslyn Keith here again with another research update flash briefing. I'm the Director of Research and President of the Board for the Lipedema Project. I like to keep you abreast of the latest research and relevance to lipedema with these flash briefings. Today I'd like to review a paper for you out of a group of clinicians and researchers in Rome, Italy. The paper is called Modified Mediterranean Ketogenic Diet and Carboxytherapy as Personalized Therapeutic Strategies in Lipedema, a pilot study. This was just published in the peer-reviewed journal Nutrients in August 2023. So the aim of this study was to evaluate the effectiveness of a personalized, modified Mediterranean ketogenic diet with or without carboxytherapy on symptoms of lipedema, including body composition, pain, health status, and quality of life. So I think a few definitions are going to be needed here. One is, what is a modified Mediterranean ketogenic diet? So the description of the diet used in this study reveals that it was largely a plant-based ketogenic diet. The paper describes the diet as following a seasonal vegetable diet, foods rich in mono and polyunsaturated fats, but limited in saturated fats, such as olive oil, nuts, avocado, oily fish, and dairy with reduced saturated fat, organic lean meat, and a reduced amount of added salt. All processed and preserved foods, such as frozen meals, cured meats, canned products, and sausages were avoided. Additional excluded foods were simple carbs and sugars, alcohol and soft drinks, and all fruits except for red fruits. So this is the diet that the participants in this study were asked to use. Let's look at the macronutrient distribution in this diet. So carbohydrates were less than 10% of calories or less than 30 grams per day. Protein was approximately 20 to 25% of calories and it was calculated individually depending on what their lean mass was, the weight of their lean mass. And so it was two grams of protein per kilograms of lean mass. And so this usually was worked out to be between 20 and 25% of calories. And the participants were asked to make at least 20% of their protein intake to bring that in from plant sources. Fat was, they were encouraged to eat 70% of their calories from fat sources. And then although fiber is not a macronutrient, the authors did say in this section that they wanted the participants to have a daily intake of 50 grams of fiber. So that is the diet that was described to the participants and they were to use as part of the study. The other definition I think you might need to know, at least I needed to know this, I didn't know what carboxytherapy was. So carboxytherapy primarily is designed to improve or restore circulation in the body. Carbon dioxide is administered subcutaneously using tiny needles. It seems that carboxytherapy can stimulate microcirculation, increasing the local blood flow, which may have a positive effect on fibrosis and skin changes that occur in individuals with lipedema. A secondary effect is local lipolysis or fat burning, which may also be beneficial 
because of the reductions of pain, inflammation, and skin changes that may happen by doing that local lipolysis. So let's move on then to describe the study a little bit more. I'm going to tell you about the methods they used. They had 22 patients that were randomly divided into three groups. The first was the modified Mediterranean ketogenic diet group, and that was combined with carboxytherapy. So they got both interventions in this group, and there was eight participants in that group. Then they had the group that did the modified Mediterranean ketogenic diet alone. They did not do any carboxytherapy. And then there was eight people in that group. And the last group had six participants, and that one was carboxytherapy alone. The intervention was provided for a total of 10 weeks for all three groups. Baseline measurements were included things like doing a complete medical and nutritional evaluation. And they did this at the end of the intervention as well. They repeated all those measurements. I'll give you a little more detail on what all those measurements were. And then they also did, for anybody who was involved in the dietary plan, they did a 24-hour dietary recall every two weeks. So the participants had to say what they ate the previous day. And um, this would monitor adherence for how closely they were going with the diet that was provided. And also to check, is there any complications or side effects? And then another part of the methodology was the carboxytherapy sessions. And these were performed once per week for the 10 weeks of the intervention. And they were given to specific points on the legs. So let me tell you a little bit more about the participants in the study. So there's 22 of them. And in order to be included in this study, they needed to be female and be diagnosed with lipedema. Unfortunately, the authors didn't state the criteria they used to arrive at that diagnosis, but this is quite often what happens with papers on lipedema. So they're all said to be diagnosed. We're not sure how they arrived at that diagnosis. And so give you a little bit of profile of the average participant. She was 46 years old. She had a height of 160 centimeters or five foot three. Her weight was 74 kilograms or 163 pounds. Her BMI was 28.6. And a majority or 60% were in stage two of lipedema. So in the more moderate stage, but not the most advanced stage of lipedema. And so now let's look a little bit more in detail on all of those different measures that they collected. What data did they collect both prior to the intervention and then after the intervention was completed in 10 weeks? So they got some of the typical demographic data. They got height, they got weight. They did waist and hip circumferential measures. And from these data, then they then calculated BMI, and actually, I have myself a little note right here. They could have calculated the waist-to-hip ratio, which is usually much better to use for individuals with lipedema, but they did not. So they had the information, but they did not calculate that. They also did body composition measures. They calculated the basal metabolic rate. And this was because they wanted to recommend that they consume a certain number of calories per day. And so by getting the basal metabolic rate, you can see what the recommended calorie consumption should be. 
Then they did several dietary assessments. One was, I already told you about the 24-hour dietary recall that was done every two weeks. They also did something called the Yale Food Addiction Scale. And this is something used to detect if there is if any of the participants have an eating disorder. And the last one they did was the Mediterranean Adequacy Index. And this was a measure of how closely the eating pattern adheres to what's called a Mediterranean diet. They get a certain score and then they can see how close they were to the recommended diet plan that was used in this study. Then they had several quality of life measures, which are always really very interesting to use in a study with individuals with lipedema. And so the first one they did is something called the EQ5D, and it looks at general health status, pain, discomfort, depression, and anxiety, all really good things to measure in someone diagnosed with lipedema. They also used another one, a quality of life measure that's usually used for fibromyalgia, but there's a lot of crossover in symptoms in fibromyalgia and lipedema. So this was probably also a good measure. And this one assesses the person's function and the widespread impact of the disorder, as well as the symptoms that they're experiencing. So I think that was a good choice there. And then they use another one called difficulties in emotional regulation scale. And so this assesses emotional dysregulation and can be used to investigate psychological disorders in individuals with lipedema. So um, very comprehensive testing in that way. And lastly, they use two pain assessments. And again, these are pain assessments usually used with fibromyalgia, but they use the fibromyalgia assessment status and the fibromyalgia severity scale. So a lot of great data collection that yielded some very interesting results. So let's look at the results. First, let's just look at how did it go with eating the recommended diet that they asked to do? So they did a comparison of what the participants said they were eating prior to the study and then compared that to what they were eating during the course of the study. And so it revealed the various things, including they did decrease their carbohydrates and sugars. They actually decreased their fiber which remember they were asked to increase it and eat at least 15 grams per day. And so they were a little bit less than that. They increased their animal proteins and actually they were asked to decrease that and eat at least 20% in uh, plant-based proteins. And they increased their monounsaturated fatty acids and their consumption of polyunsaturated fatty acids, which was what they were asked to do. And then they increased vitamin D and vitamin E, which the, the authors were hoping that that would be, but they decreased their consumption of vitamin C. And then the caloric intake was not decreased. The researchers wanted them to decrease their caloric intake by about, I think they said 20%, because the researchers felt that you had to have that calorie deficit in order to lose weight. But they actually did not decrease their caloric intake. And you'll have to see how this played out. Not decreasing their caloric intake, but they did do all the other things. They did not decrease animal proteins. And so it's interesting um, how this actually played out. 
so despite the recommendation to decrease saturated fat intake, it actually went up slightly before and after during the intervention. And then despite the quest to increase the percentage of proteins coming from plant sources, of course, this the plant source protein intake went down slightly. And then remember that scale that assesses how well they adhered to a Mediterranean diet. Although they were closer to a Mediterranean diet, according to this index, than they were prior to being in the study, they still were not at that level that considered this to be a Mediterranean diet. And so I thought that assessment of their diet was very interesting because regardless of what the researchers designed the dietary intervention part, it seems the participants really ate closer to what I would suggest, which is really leaning toward a more animal-sourced ketogenic diet. And they did spectacularly at that. They ate in that way instead of the plant-based Mediterranean ketogenic diet. So let's look at the results with weight and BMI, knowing that this was not adhering to what the researchers wanted as far as diet, they significantly reduced their weight and BMI in both diet groups. The carboxy-only group did not change in weight and BMI. And the same thing for hip and waist circumference. They significantly reduced in both diet groups. And for hips and waist, significantly reduced only in the keto group alone, and the carboxy group did not decrease in either waist or hip. And then body composition, the total fat mass was reduced in both diet groups, and the significant results in fat mass reduction were not found in the carboxy therapy group. Additionally, the lean mass was well-preserved in both groups. It is quite often seen when you just restrict calories and you don't get enough protein, that we lose lean mass. And in this one, according to the body composition, the lean mass was preserved until they lost mostly fat mass and probably water mass. And then the two groups that use carboxytherapy, the one was carboxytherapy by itself and the other was combined with the dietary therapy. Those two groups had a significantly improved skin texture in those two groups. Then in the quality of life, only the combined ketogenic diet and carboxytherapy group showed a significant improvement in just two of those quality of life assessments, but no other group, including this group, had improvements in any of the other pain or quality of life assessments. So just a little bit before we talk about the conclusions, the limitations of the study, any good researcher is going to tell you what the limits of their study were, that they, they could have been done better. And so the limitations of this study was it a small number of participants. The intervention period was short. It was only 10 weeks. And there was no comparison group of a group of patients that did not have lipedema. And they suggested that future studies may want to check out what is the oxidative and inflammatory levels in each participant and then assess what is the potential impact of antioxidative, anti-inflammatory nutrients on a ketogenic diet. What does that have on the 
level of oxidation inflammatory levels in their body. So that they suggested that very interesting to look in the future. I agree. So their conclusions are a ketogenic diet can effectively induce weight and fat mass loss, even in body areas that were previously considered unresponsive to diet and lipedema patients. And the best results were obtained from combining a ketogenic diet and carboxytherapy, which showed improvement in body composition, reduced pain, and improved sleep. So again, another little interesting side note, although the study wanted to look at the use of a modified Mediterranean ketogenic diet, when the diet was actually consumed, it did not conform to the parameters of a Mediterranean diet by their description. So they dropped the Mediterranean descriptor in their conclusion. And I stated just how they did in the paper. They said that a ketogenic diet had a greatest impact on the symptoms of lipedema. They didn't even mention Mediterraneans. I thought that was very interesting. This paper is super important for individuals with lipedema because it confirms the need for a holistic and integrated and multidisciplinary approach for lipedema. It demonstrates that no isolated treatment can be completely effective. We need to do a variety of interventions, but nutrition should have a primary role in the management of lipedema. And as we learn more about the pathophysiology of lipedema, we will be better able to develop effective and targeted treatment strategies. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you haven't already subscribed to our daily flash briefings of tips, tools, and research about lipedema, you can subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Amazon Alexa, or at this website, lipedema-simplified.org slash flash, where you'll find an archive of all of our flash briefings. You can now also follow Living Well with Lipedema on Amazon Music and get new episodes when they become available. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next time for another research update flash briefing. Music